0: Welcome to UNGA Decoded. I'm Michael Igo, senior reporter at DevEx. For the next couple weeks, my colleagues and I are going to bring you inside the biggest global development gathering of the year. Skip the travel, the traffic, and the security lines, and join us for candid conversations with people at the leading edge of global development, global health, and humanitarian assistance. This is UNGA Decoded. This year marks the 77th time that leaders from nearly every country in the world have gathered together to tackle some of the biggest challenges on the planet. Over the years, UNGA has evolved into something far beyond the formal meeting of global leaders that happens inside the UN headquarters. Today, at the halfway point of the sustainable development goals, UNGA is a sprawling collection of meetings and events that take over large portions of New York City in mid-September. For a reporter who writes about global development, global health, and humanitarian assistance, it's a bit like facing directly into a fire hose. I've actually struggled sometimes to describe what UNGA is. Yes, it's a UN meeting, but it's also a kind of annual ritual for people working on issues like global poverty, climate change, pandemic preparedness, conflict prevention, and other pressing challenges. It's a sort of pilgrimage based on the assumption that there is value in getting large numbers of people together working in these areas in the same place at the same time. But What is that value exactly? What really happens here? To help me think through those questions, I turn to someone who's been doing this for a while. He also happens to be my boss. Raj Kumar is the founding president and editor in chief of DevEx, which he started over two decades ago. Raj joined me for a conversation to help kick off this podcast series and to help me understand the question what actually is Unga? Hi, Raj. Hey, Michael. How are you? I'm doing great. Excited for this week at Unga and all that 's going to go into, and excited to be talking to you yeah i'm excited too i i I wanted to start by talking about what we 're excited about, um, because I think you know we have a tendency to just sort of refer shorthand to unga to sometimes talk about the United nations general Assembly um, but in a way, these are sort of two different things and and unga has become its own phenomenon, and I was thinking about this. If someone were to ask me, you know, what is Unga, someone who hadn't been there for the last, um, in my case, I don't know, nine years; in your case, probably the last twenty years or so. Um, sorry, not to age you. Um, I'm not sure I would be able to to define it. Um, it's sort of the smattering of of events all of, that takes over New York City for a week. How would you How would you explain the, what we're about to to see and experience to somebody who's not intimately familiar with it?
1: I mean, as a shorthand, I tell people it's the Super Bowl or the Oscars of global development. And what I mean by that is, of course, you know, there's the main event, uh, which is these official meetings that happen inside the UN Secretariat building, but there's so much else around that. And really, for our community, it has become this big marker. It's kind of a moment to reset and think about where we're headed and you know, it's getting more and more attention. And, you know, during the pandemic, of course, it went virtual. Last year, it was kind of semi-virtual. But there's a real hunger to be back um, because in the many issues that get covered during that week, from climate to global education to global health, you know, there are very few moments when world leaders and leaders across sectors get together in one place. And and that's what happens in Manhattan. Um, And it's, it's a really special moment. There's lots of skepticism around it too, which we should talk about, but, but I do think it has grown and grown for a reason.
0: Yeah, I I do want to, to get into that. Um, you know, I, I'll share my skepticism and then you can convince me, um, why, uh, why everyone should be, um, traveling to New York to, to talk about these issues every year. Um, you know, I love the the Super Bowl of development idea, but I wonder, like, does anybody ever win or or the Oscars? You know, we don't really have. Uh, I, sometimes it feels like you go to UNGA and um, there's discussion of all of these really intractable giant challenges. And then everybody goes home and, and then you come back next year and do it all over again. Um, you know, how would you if someone were to say, you know, it can't possibly make sense for for people to fly to New York every year. Um, to talk about climate change, you know, for example. Um, where do you see the progress in this? Is it, is it really driving significant action on some of these issues? Yeah, that is the core criticism. I think you put it really well.
1: And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, you know, this is not a pledging conference. Of course, this year, the Global Fund will have their replenishment there. So there's some dollars attached that we'll be reporting on. But for the most part, when you hear about money, at UNGA, it's money that's already been committed by governments and they're using this moment to refresh it and make a new announcement around it. So it's really not a place where you hear about new policies, new money. So the skepticism is really fair in many ways, but I think it is a place and has grown into a place where narratives develop. And I think, for example, around climate, a lot of the urgency around the climate movement was helped by climate activists coming to UNGA and having this moment where they can be in front of world leaders, they can be in front of corporate leaders, the foundation world is there, the NGO world is there. And so it creates this opportunity to shape a narrative. And it's hard to see the results of that, You know, year to year, it's hard to say, oh, well, this is what this UNGA achieved. I think that would be really tough to ever pin down. But it's a bit like the Churchill quote about democracy being the best, the worst form of government, except for all the others. You know, it's imperfect in lots of ways. You know, it's in Manhattan. Uh, It's logistically impossible. It's a challenging country for people to get to with visas. I mean, there's so much that we can say is imperfect, but it does serve a real purpose. And I think that's the reason why people are voting with their feet. And when I first, you know, the first year I went to the U.N. General Assembly, I was just basically a kid in college. I was working in the Clinton administration and I was doing press advance. And my job was to get the White House press corps into the General Assembly, which I thought sounded like a very straightforward procedure and turned out to be highly complex, like all things related to the U.N. Uh, And I kind of learned how things actually work there during that process. But back then, it was very sleepy. You know, it was a place for diplomats, and that's it. And that has changed dramatically, and I think it's for a reason. I think people want to be there across sectors, corporates and foundations and NGOs and and governments and donors, you know, bilateral aid agencies, not just the diplomatic missions. They all want to be there because it's become this place where global issues can get discussed. Maybe not solved. Maybe, you know, nothing... Tangible and concrete comes out as much as some some groups, Clinton Global Initiative among them tries to make that happen, but but certainly a place where narratives get developed.
0: I want to dig into that piece of it, this idea of narrative in development in global health in global issues broadly. Um, you know, I think one of the the sort of big efforts to shape the narrative has been the sustainable development goals when i think about the sustainable development goals the thing that i hear stressed so frequently is that you know the big evolution from the millennium development goals to the sustainable development goals was sort of this message that we're all in this together these are universal goals that you know um wealthier countries and and lower income countries are are pursuing sort of both in parallel and in in cooperation and and i to me that's that's trying to shape a narrative about like, what is development? And I think that tracks really closely with what you were saying that, you know, 20 years or so ago, this was sort of a, a sector specific thing that was kind of um, a smaller group of people discussing their niche topics. And now it's blown in, up into something much bigger. Um, yeah. I'm curious if you have any <laughs> insights into to why that is. Um, why are more people, are more people just Interested in global issues these days, or has the the kind of industry that surrounds these issues um, matured and changed in a way that can support something like this in a way that it that it didn't before? What are the driving factors there?
1: I mean, I think the main one is globalization. You know, the world has just gotten smaller, and so these issues are no longer so focused on individual countries. And I think that's kind of what dominated. The UN in the past it was geopolitics and and you know conflict and looking at individual nations and their relationships with each other and I think increasingly so many issues cross borders and so people are looking for a place where they can engage on those issues that go beyond any geopolitical question um, the geopolitics of course plays into it but. You know, again, climate is a really, a really good one. And, and another one I think is uh, universal health coverage as an example, you know, it's within the SDGs, but that's a narrative that really got shaped at the UN General Assembly. Um, and in fact, next year, there'll be another high level meeting on UHC. There was one a few years ago. And a lot of what we're gonna be talking about at DevEx and a lot of the global health is gonna be talking about is trying to shape, even now in 2022, what the conversation will be in 2023 around universal health coverage. And, you know, back when that concept was launched, it was seen as so radical, you know, like there was certainly consensus in rich countries that we could spend money to help solve specific diseases afflicting poor countries. That was that was easier to sell in places like Washington, D.C. AIDS and malaria and TB are, of course, examples. But the idea that every person on earth deserved universal access to healthcare, kind of a broad-based system of primary healthcare, I don't think that was so easy to sell. And so UHC was a bit radical. And it's not so radical anymore. And, and that's what I mean by narrative shaping. At least within the global health community, it's become seen as a given. So I, I think the SDGs, you know, had a similar drive behind them. Like, look, we're going to make this framework. It's going to apply to everyone. We'll use the UN, the UN, as like the the sounding board, or the, the the springboard to bring it to the whole world. But then the whole world will own it. It won't be a UN thing anymore. And I think the results are really mixed. You know, it's it's hard to find people who are just completely sold that this has worked. Um, And so, you know, on the other hand, it's hard to find, like, what's the alternative? What do you do with the SDGs? In fact, you know, when I interviewed Bill Gates or DevX World, I asked him about this. And sort of like, what's the alternative? You know, what else do we do? Yes, we're way behind. We're slipping further behind. But but what? You know, Um, now, some countries, some communities have really picked up on these SDGs. A lot of the private sector has. But what does it meant tangibly? You know, like, what can you point to and, and say, hey, this is what these things have achieved? It's harder. It's, it's harder to find that. Um, I also think the context has really changed. You know, like I, I remember being there, you know, General Assembly in 2015 when the SDGs were, were ratified. Um, and back then, things in the donor countries and the rich countries were generally going pretty well. You know, we'd come out of the financial crisis. Things were basically good. And so this was a chance to say, okay, the, the, the millennium development goals were at least partly successful and they were a good galvanizing force. Let's kind of take them to the next level. And, you know, the rich countries that are doing pretty well are going to create new energy and impetus to support poor countries. Well, look at the context now. I mean, just a year later, we had a consequential presidential election in the US. So you've got democracy in, in question in much of the Western world. Look at the The energy crisis happening now in Europe, the geopolitical crisis, Ukraine, Russia, U.S. Look at the China-U.S. rift, how much that's grown. So the donor countries are in a very different position. And I think in 2022, it's hard for them to talk about the SDGs. It's hard for them to make this their top priority issue when they're so focused domestically. So I think the context has just really shifted. Um, And I do think this is going to be one of the topics people in the development community are going to wrestle with during this year's UNGA is, you know, what do we do about these SDGs? How do we reframe them or get new energy behind them uh, if we really care about the issues that, that are framed within them?
0: Warren, Executive Editor at DevEx. If you are listening to this podcast, you are likely working to achieve the sustainable development goals. But are you subscribed to DevX Newswire? Global development can be a fast-moving, complex sector. Our team of global reporters work every day to bring you the news you need to make sense of it all. In DevX Newswire, we keep you up to date on issues ranging from climate change financing to gender equality and global health to transforming the food system all in a fun-to-read free newsletter delivered directly to you five days a week. Join the hundreds of thousands of global development professionals who receive DevX Newswire and visit devx.com slash newsletters to sign up to this free newsletter today. It seems like COVID-19 and, you know, the sort of collision of the pandemic with these economic crises, energy crises, and climate change. Um, to me, it seems like it's sort of forcing a question about whether the SDGs do provide sort of that adequate narrative um, or way of thinking about how to move forward. And And I think you've seen some sort of hints at alternative things like, um, you know, not just the sort of... Uh, specific US political agenda, but some of the broader rhetoric around building back better and sort of, uh, finding opportunities for transformation in, in crisis and things like that. To me, that's slightly, that's sort of a different way of thinking about development and global health than the SDGs, which are sort of, you know, steady progress. Like we can get there if we just keep, you know, keep it up. And, and, um, and if everybody, you know, cooperates, we can finally, um, you know, get to the the end of the race on some of these critical challenges. And now it seems like, do we have to rebuild the world in a completely different way? And, you know, what's the sort of development agenda that's going to tell us how to do that? Um, so for, for me, this idea of thinking about these as, as sort of competing narratives or, or just almost heuristics, like how should I think about and live in this current moment? Maybe like steady progress towards some development goals is helpful, or maybe like completely rethinking the way that we provide global health security is what needs to happen. Um, To me, it seems like there's a lot up in the air at the moment, and I'm going to be fascinated to see how that level of uncertainty and and just how that level of, um, of just not being really able to sort of take past models for granted right now is going to play out in the conversations this week. I think, you know, one conversation that I had recently that really made an impression on me was with um, Peter Sands, who's the executive director of the Global Fund, which of course um, is in the process of seeking $18 billion uh, for its current replenishment. And what he said to me was that, you know, all of these pressures, all of these um, crisis factors, um, particularly when you look at, you know, the pressures that lower income countries are facing with debt um, and, you know, public budgets being strapped, all of those things make it more difficult um, for the Global Fund to raise $18 billion. They also make it more important for the Global Fund to raise $18 billion. It feels like we're reaching this sort of um, moment of, of reckoning about whether kind of the, the institutions, the ways that they're funded, uh, just sort of the general ways that they're conceived can kind of meet this moment when, when everything seems to be really up in the air.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I think it's kind of a crisis of leadership as well. You know, like where is the leadership in the global community for these issues? Um, where is their attention and their focus, especially when there's so much to worry about domestically? And I think it's a real tension. You know, the SDGs. There's a lot to a lot of good things about them. You know, the framework is really carefully thought through. There's all these indicators. It's something that you, know, you can at least try to measure against. It has a long-term way of thinking. But I think it's always appealed more to intellectuals. You know, it's appealed as like an intellectual framework that you can think about to people who like to analyze the world. It's never really got people in the gut. You know, it's, it's been hard to kind of get an emotional response to the SDGs. And I think that's sort of where it competes with on the political agenda. And it's much easier to get an emotional response around the climate emergency. You know, when people see flooding and storms and drought, it's much easier on the food crisis. You know, where people all over the world in rich countries and poor ones are seeing their food prices spike and, and shortages. You know, those are things you can kind of get a visceral reaction to. And, you know, I think we might just have to get to a point where we see the SDGs as this analytical framework that's helpful at a certain level. It's a bit abstract and it's useful to, you know, leaders in the foundation world and the NGO world and the policy-making world, but but maybe it isn't the thing that is gonna stir the masses and is gonna move politics. And we need other things to do that. So it is a challenging moment because we need competition, I think, against the forces pushing governments and countries to just look inside their own borders and to say, you know, let's burn a lot more coal right now because we just don't have a choice. You know, we, we need a we need a counter narrative. And maybe that's what will come out of this year's UNGA week is kind of some thinking around what could that counter narrative
0: be? Yeah. So what are you going to be watching um, this week? We've mentioned the global fund replenishment. That's a big one. To me, that's probably one of the more I mean, it's an interesting um, example because it's it's both significant in terms of the specific funding going to HIV, tuberculosis, and malaria, and you know, will really have significant bearing on the ability to implement programs, um, to tackle those three diseases. But it's also sort of this barometer for sort of, you know, who's really coming to the table here. Um, each country, you know, has the opportunity to sort of make a pledge and some of them, you know, likely, uh, overperform some underperform they're just disappointment there's surprises and and maybe some some reason for optimism so that's an interesting one to me because it speaks a little bit more it sort of takes the the temperature of of where different donors are and and how um, the institutions are, are interacting with them are there other big either issues that you think will be in focus this week or specific opportunities to to kind of get a sense of where we are on some of these these bigger questions
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think you're right to point out the Global Fund because, you know, in a way, it's sort of the bridge between the two eras in global health. You know, it it comes out of this era of vertical funding instruments, you know, political support around disease specific areas like HIV. And the Global Fund has grown into something that is more cross-cutting. They're doing health system strengthening now. and That's part of their pitch. They even do a lot more around pandemic preparedness. It's a big part of their replenishment argument. So I think they kind of bridge these two eras. And it will be interesting to see how much of the conversation during the UN General Assembly couple of weeks will be around the future of global health and, and what does it look like? And, and is it UHC? Is it health system strengthening? Um, given that the pandemic is still with us, the COVID pandemic, you know, is there going to be a lot? a focus on COVID in particular, and how to get vaccination rates and boosters up and even still treatment availability is low in much of the world? Or will countries sort of say, oh, yeah, we've been there and done that? You know, that's kind of in the rearview mirror. So I'm really interested to, to see what this global health conversation evolves into. You know, this is also a really important year for global education. Um, you know, everybody knows that global education has generally been failing. The World Bank has called it a learning crisis, and that was before the pandemic. And then things got just so much worse as kids all over the world were, you know, out of school for, for in some cases, a couple of years, um, and in many cases, they're still kids who are not, you know, entirely back to normal in their school systems. So. You know, education is going to be a big one, and there's a transforming education summit, the test that's going to happen this year during UNGA. Um, I think it will be a place where people make announcements. It's not clear yet whether there'll be any really big ones. But some of the things people are looking at is, will the philanthropic sector step up? You know, will we see any big new philanthropy around global education? We really haven't seen that before. Um, The philanthropy in this space tends to be pretty small scale. Will there be a new clear vision around global education or will it be kind of the kitchen sink? You know, every global education issue gets talked about, as is often the case at these UN summits. It's hard to politically hard to kind of focus in on one thing. Or will there be a little bit more of a, a clear pointy edge of the sphere that comes out of this of this summit? So I think that's another really big one. And I'm hearing that there are going to be some Potentially interesting announcements around the role of the multilateral development banks in this space. So let's stay tuned to that to that area. I think the food crisis is the third big one Um, that's going to be talked about a lot. I mean, there's many places in the world that are facing severe hunger. Uh, The Horn of Africa was, you know, we've been reporting on a Devex as a particular one. So. I think there's gonna be a lot of conversation about that because like climate, it's one of these issues that everyone is starting to feel in rich countries and in poor ones. And it is a visceral issue. Maybe unlike the SDGs, it gets people in the gut. And then maybe lastly, a really narrow thing, which is localization. You know, In our space, there's lots of conversation around localization. USAID is gonna be there um, at the General Assembly. There's gonna be lots of conversation on this. I'm moderating a session. That's brought to um, to the General Assembly week by the Hilton Foundation, the Skoll Foundation. I think there's going to be a lot of conversation on localization, and it's kind of a make or break moment, certainly in the U.S. context with the midterm elections coming up, as to whether or not there's going to be real, tangible progress on this. So this is an important moment, just a couple months before those elections, to see what really gets announced, so what really comes out of these localization
0: discussions. And you know, just in anticipation that this podcast episode might go a little bit uh, to a slightly broader audience, I want to be clear that lo- when we talk about localization, we mean shifting funding, decision making authority um, from sort of the the donor headquarters or, um, you know, associated community of US and international organizations to the communities where those programs are, are operating. Um, and that comes with funding implications comes with programmatic and uh, program design implications and a a whole range of things. Um, Yeah, certainly an issue that we're tracking closely. And on each of these four issues, Raj, I'm reminded and I, I try to keep in mind that, you know, UNGA, like all of these kind of big gatherings, these big global summits, I mean, it creates media events and it creates like an occasion for institutions to talk about what they're doing or to make an announcement um, because something might be trending on Twitter or whatever. Um, but what I try to, try to keep in mind is like it also represents, um, an enormous amount of work like throughout the rest of the year that a lot of people are undertaking in preparation to be able to announce something, um, or to be able to make some small change in the way that something is worded in a a UN resolution or something like that. Um, so you know, I I think that's part of what I really have appreciated about reporting deeply on these issues is that you get to see a lot of that behind the scenes stuff that happens, um, that really, you know, if you were just sort of reading a press release that comes out during UNGA or reading the text of a resolution, it's just impossible to, um, to fully grasp, you know, how many, human hours go into just moving the needle a little bit on some of these issues, or in some cases, you know, um, or uh, producing really big breakthroughs. Like we've seen really big um, drug pricing agreements come out of UNGA and things like that, you know, and, um, and those aren't agreements or, or announcements that were decided at UNGA. These are pretty slow moving Processes and um, and in some ways, I think you know it's important to keep in mind that that this is all part of a, a much bigger process. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you about this reporting piece or the, you know, what it's like to keep an eye on these issues over a, a long period of time. You alluded to this a little bit uh, in the opening when you talked about you know your first experience with the UN General Assembly, um, getting through the press credential process and all of that and attending sleepy meetings and dealing with obscure issues in a small group of people. And now it's changed. And, you know, I I guess I'm just curious those early days sort of coincide with when you started DevEx and started focusing on these issues from a journalistic perspective. And I'd be curious to hear what it's been like to, to continue doing that as the prominence and just sort of general consciousness around these issues has changed because now you know there's not a more important issue right now than global health, and even specifically sort of global health security. Um, you can say the same thing about about climate change. Um, so, how do you think about that? I mean, how has that sort of changed your your view on on covering these issues as a news organization?
1: I think in the earlier years we were covering this you know, there wasn't as much happening in this space. So, you know, you would see an event on global health or a conversation on agriculture, and it was all interesting. It was all relevant to our audience. And so we'd report on it. And and now as this has become this really big week, just chock full of events and conversations and announcements, we've gotta be a little bit more skeptical And we try to be, when we hear governments say, we're committing this much money to this issue, to be able to go back and say, well, wait a second, what is this? Is this new? Is this significant? Um, You know, what did you announce last year? And did you fulfill that promise? So to try to be, to bring some really healthy journalistic skepticism to, you know, the circus that is UNGA week, Right. Um, I think that's more and more important that we, that we do our jobs as journalists in that way this week. At the same time, I think it's really important that we figure out what are those seeds that are being planted that are going to affect the narrative, that are going to lead to policy shifts or new funding down the road. And because there's only so much we can cover, I think we've got a big responsibility in picking what those topics are and finding those seeds and, and giving the right attention to the right things. Um, and there's a natural inclination to say, well, you know, let's listen to what the secretary general is saying or let's listen to what you know, world leaders are saying. But we've got to be careful because sometimes actually the most exciting things happening during a week, like the U.N. General Assembly, are coming from small local organizations or from social entrepreneurs or from a small coalition of actors, you know, and finding that nugget of exciting activity that will in the future lead to something significant that's really important for us to to make sure we're elevating. So it's a big responsibility to cover this week at DevX, I think. I think, you know, we host a lot of our own events. We try to be really thoughtful about who we put on stage, about what issues we give priority to. And when we go out there and cover these issues, we try to bring that same combination of healthy skepticism and, you know, real thoughtfulness about what's possible and,
0: and the kind of good work that a lot of people in our sector are trying to get done. Well, I think it's gonna be a fun week. This is actually my, my first time back in New York uh, since the pandemic. And I, to be honest with you, I wasn't sure if the sort of whole UNGA phenomenon would, would make it through. Uh, you know, there's some tendency to think maybe people have a, a moment to reflect on whether it does make sense to, to travel to New York to go to side events, um, but clearly they've decided that it does. Um, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to it and really looking forward to, to seeing what comes out of it. Well, Raj, thanks so much. It's been great talking with you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for listening to UNGA Decoded. We'll be bringing you more interviews from the UN General Assembly throughout the next week. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do share it with friends, family, and colleagues. And you can also leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. If you've been to UNGA and have some thoughts, or if you just want to share some feedback on this episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at DevX and at AlterIGO.